Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 75, How to Market Yourself at Trade Shows with Jared Eversole. Before we roll the intro, I do want to make a quick note about today's podcast. Jared and I ran into a little bit of technical difficulties for whatever reason, and I ended up having to pull audio from our Zoom call that thankfully I was able to save the audio from. So today's podcast isn't going to sound as great as it normally does, and that's just really because we ran into some tech issues and just just had to pull the audio from the Zoom call. So fortunately, we were able to retain the audio and get the podcast out to you guys. I think we had a great conversation, but keep that in mind when you're listening to the podcast, and if you're just wondering why it doesn't sound like it normally does, that's why. Anyway, without further ado, let's roll the intro. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks for joining in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. On this podcast, we talk about everything from video production to editing to storyboarding, script writing, contracts, you name it, we try to cover it. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh, which is a continuation of the podcast, as well as a place to come and join in other conversations that have to do with video, post questions and things of that nature. So be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. Joining me today is Jared Eversole. Jared, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Jared, you've been on the podcast a few different times. You told me the other day you were trying to win an award for the most like appearances in filming with Josh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're keeping track or if I'm keeping track, but I know it's been a few times and I got to keep my record up. So, um, you know, put me down for the Golden Moose Award, I guess. Dude, I think you and Kyle Bamberger are kind of going back and forth on who's going to be number one. How many does he got? He's got to have like three or four. I know you've got it. This is at least your third or fourth because we had Mason on. We've had you on yeah. toward the beginning when the podcast got started. I can't keep up. Well, I can't let him beat me. So we'll do one <laughs> next week. Okay. We'll do that. We you, It took you a long time to kind of give me an outline of what you wanted to talk about today. So I, I don't trust that you'll have another one ready for next week. <laughs> We've been having some crazy weather, man. It's uh, ice and everything else you could imagine. So we're all spread out remotely and kids at home. And like I said yesterday, I trying to work from the house um, just with everybody working off their laptops and it's not jiving very well, but I'm dude, back so, in the office now. Dude. So my PA, if he's listening to this, he's going to probably be embarrassed, but uh, my, one of my production assistants texted me on Tuesday and he's like, Hey man, I know, that we were supposed to go and do this video project, but I'm kind of don't want to take my new truck out in the ice. But dude, we had like a dusting of ice. It was like hardly any ice. And I was like, come on, dude. Like I literally rented a Prius, not my choice, but my client's choice. I rented a Prius in Canada and flew to Canada and drove in like three foot of snow to go to a job by myself once. Like <laughs> you can't drive 30 <laughs> minutes at a dusting of ice to come do a shoot with me. He's like, nah, dude, I don't want to crash my truck. <laughs> Like us yeah, Texans, you think uh, you think somebody that being in the outdoor industry would, you know, we'd all make it to work no matter how deep the snow is and everything else, but it's just not the case anymore. Well, I think uh, I think it's just 
goes to show how Texans are just like they they see ice and we're like scared to death. And you're just north in Oklahoma, you get a little bit more than we do, but still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, so what have you been up to? Like, fill me in. I know you've been doing a lot, a lot, a lot of fishing content still, but kind of tell me uh, how how business has been going and kind of what you've been up to lately. Uh, yeah, kind of like everybody else, business seems to be pretty good um, for the most part. It's steady. Um, we've seen a big influx where we all thought we were going to have to ride the COVID wave out uh, two or three years, but you know it seems to be picking up and uh, being pretty steady. Um, you know, sometimes work gets dropped in your lap and sometimes you have to go out there and work for it. Um, but, uh, it seems the industry is, is doing pretty good, pretty decent. And, uh, we're still producing outdoor television, which is our bread and butter. And I'm going to ride that until it's no longer, but, uh, you know, we're breaking off into doing a lot of digital content now, um, a lot of YouTube series, um, or just, um, you know, kind of content that, uh, doesn't necessarily get on TV, but, uh, helps with promotion of, uh, businesses, sizzle reels and, and stuff like that trade show loops. Um, but, um, yeah, I actually had so much business contact me outside of the outdoor industry that I started a new company. And so I'm kind of trying to wear two hats real quickly and uh, do things outside of the outdoor industry, but keep my company, Deep Fork Productions, brand intact and um, and just create concentrate on outdoor industry stuff. Uh, so that other business, uh, 44 Creative, has been picking up and um, been doing well. Um, so kind of trying to, like I said, wear two hats real quickly. <laughs> I had, uh, on my last episode, we had Aaron Morgan on and, uh, Aaron was kind of stepping away from doing some outdoor TV. And I told him I was doing the opposite and I was kind of stepping back in, which is really funny. Um, but I was trying to get in on a lot of the post-production side. And honestly, you're my inspiration for wanting to do that because you have created this amazing business where you have, uh, a bunch of different shows that you kind of oversee and manage and and you have guys that can help you shoot it and edit it. And I love that. I feel like if you're going to be in the hunting or fishing space, like that is, I mean, that's the way to do it. Like if you're, if you're wanting to make like a long sustained career out of it and be as successful as you are, like that's the way to do it. And that's kind of what's made me want to step back in it a little bit is, is because I have my editor now, it makes more sense that I can kind of get back in and maybe look at picking up some shows again and, and doing some post-production work and things like that. Um, but you've built a really solid team. You got a bigger team than I do. And I think like, man, you've been crushing it. So you're, you're kind of my idol for like how, what I'm trying no, to accomplish. No, no. no, for my hunting stuff and fishing <laughs> stuff, you are, I'm like, I want to, I told my wife the other day, I was like, my goal in the hunting and fishing world is to do what Jared's doing. Cause I think that you're doing a great job there. Well, thanks. Uh, couldn't do it without my tech support from, you know, Rustic River Media. <laughs> but uh, you know, we talk a bunch, and and I've I've been blessed to be successful for about ten years now of outdoor television and and riding the wave, and and uh, you know, I've created some content that uh, has been kind of low key. I've I've stepped up the game, obviously, and and now um, we're producing six different television series uh, on, on TV. So, you know, it can be a double-edged sword as well. Uh, as you know, you know, you can do a lot of work for not a lot of money and in the outdoor industry. And so, uh, even but, though the work but is, you, but you've got the key though. Like the thing is, is you can do a lot of work for not a lot of money, 
until you build a team. And then once you have a team, like that's, I mean, I'm not saying you don't work really hard, but like, I mean, dude, a team is the way to do it. Oh, absolutely. And and I I could not do six different television series without a team. You know, I've got a team of about three guys uh, in-house um, mm-hmm. that uh, offices out of, you know, where I'm at in Oklahoma. Uh, we also work remotely, obviously. That's the cool thing to do these days is work from home. But, uh, you know, we we can bounce ideas off each other. And I do have those people to go out and film, uh, have those people that go out and edit. Um, so, it does make it more enjoyable. You're right. No, it does, man. I think that was my problem. And part a big part of why I left is I got burnt out because I was doing so much work for what seemed like such a little amount of money. I'm working like 16, 8, 10 hour days, plus editing and everything else. But then like once I started like seeing your once I got away from it and I saw like your approach to it, and I was like, man, like that's the key. It's like you got to find other people that you can delegate work to. And if you can go that route, like, man, like then you could really be successful and maybe not feel so burned out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's a hundred percent team effort and uh, you've always got to have somebody in your court to bounce ideas off of. And, and, you know, it's, it's everybody, every entrepreneur's dream to own a, a business that uh, you have people to help delegate to. And, um, you know, a lot of people's gotten this advice over the years, but one of my best advice I've gotten over the years is the to surround people. Don't be afraid to surround people that are better than you. Hundred um, percent. And and so, you know, one thing that I've did the past two years is is hire a person that does no shooting and no editing, and that was scary. That was everybody that's ever worked for me uh, or for my company is a shooter editor. That's, that's our bread and butter. It's what pays the bills. I can, my return on investment is right there. Uh, but you got to have that business manager, that marketing manager. Uh, we're breaking out into websites now Uh, a little bit. What we'll talk about today is, you know, kind of covers that, but we've, we've had to expand our horizon to be that one-stop shop and you've got to take care of your client to where, um, you know, you take care of everything. And you were full service uh, as much as you can. Yeah, man, I think that's awesome. I haven't really dipped into like the website, social media stuff too much, but um, God, I'm kind of just focus on the shooting and editing side of things. But I think that it makes a lot of sense to try to dip your toe into those to offering those different types of services as well, because I could see the benefit of that. Absolutely. So, man, what else you been up to? Like, I know it's been trade so- show season. You've been on the road a lot. Yeah, I have. Um, so, you know, industry trade shows can be um, hit or miss. And some shows are are going downhill if you talk to some of them. Some of them are, you know, in the uptick and they're really doing well. Um, but it seems like this time of year is your hunting and fishing uh, industry trade shows. Um, now I, cast happens in the summertime uh, for fishing, but uh, a lot of your hunting and fishing shows, or a lot of your hunting shows happen in January. And so, um, this year ATA show, the archery trade association show was, um, I believe the second weekend of January. And then the third week of January, back to back weeks 
was the SHOT Show, uh, same thing for shooting sports out in Vegas. And so I went back-to-back trade shows, ATA to SHOT from Indianapolis to Las Vegas and and was gone a full two weeks from uh, from home. Yeah, that's a, a lot of trade show like time because tra- a lot of people have maybe not spent any time at trade shows. They don't understand that. Like, that's really tiring, actually. Standing all day, maybe a walking a lot, talking a lot going out for drinks or to like network at night. Like, dude, those are long days. No, they are. They're, you know, time you look at it, you're 12 to 16 hour days. Um, You got to socialize after hours, uh, you know, and those shows on your feet is daunting. I mean, not only mentally, but they are physically, um, you know, at the shot show, it was a running joke. Everybody want to look at their phones or whatever they have to count their steps these days. And everybody was looking at them as like, I got 12,000, I got 17,000. And it was like, you know, kind of one up or on how many steps do you have? And, and it was, uh, some people had, some people had over 20,000, which you look that up, that's miles and miles of, uh, of show space that you're walking each day. Yeah. So it's funny. You can, uh, when you, if you're going to, and I'm sure we'll get into some more of this here in a little, little while in the podcast, but if you're going to have a booth, some trade shows, and I don't, I can't remember if the hunting ones do this, but I, I, I know trade shows I've looked at for like construction and stuff. You can pay extra money if you're going to have a booth to have like really thick, nice carpeted booth oh, space. Yeah. And dude, like at yeah. first you're like, why would I pay for that? But bro, if you're standing in that booth all day long, that makes a difference. Yeah, if you're walking around and and uh, you know our our feet are not made to stand on concrete all day. No, you know we're not made to stand on concrete. But uh, when you're walking around the trade show and you find you a booth and you walk into that booth, it's it's like walking on a you know a, a air mattress and you got little <laughs> little pillows for your feet. And you're yeah. like. You know, even though the conversation may be over, you're just standing there and you're like, I'm going to soak this up for just a little bit longer. <laughs> People listening to this podcast are probably turning it off right now. Like, I don't, I didn't sign up for this. What does this have to do with video? Um, so man, you, uh, you, you mentioned going to the ATA show and to shot show. I've been to ATA. I've never been to shot, uh, but I've been to ATA. The shows I go to the most are DSC, which is Dallas Safari Club, or SCI, which is Safari Club International. Um, those, I go to those shows just because I do a lot of outfitter marketing. So it's like a good place for me to go and like try to pick up hunting outfits. But tell us why you go to ATA and SHOT Show specifically, as well as ICAST. And then tell us a little bit about what your goal is at each of these trade shows and how you go about trying to accomplish your goal. So I go to ATA shot night cast specifically for one reason that those are what they call industry trade shows. Those are not open to the public. They are closed to you have a purpose to be there. And in order to have a purpose to be there, there's all kinds of categories that you could fit in. And I want to say one thing first and foremost is that, those shows were created for one reason and one reason only it's to match the people who have like archery trade association show was to match the people who have a store that sells archery equipment with the manufacturers that they sell they want to sell in their stores and so each one archery 
Shot Show with the guns, ICAST with the fishing was created for that. They do allow you to be there as a media member or a press or a category in sales. Um, but we're going to talk about how to break through the the mold of the, what those shows were created for, but what you can benefit from. Okay. So when you go, you're going specifically to try to pick up meetings with, is it with companies or are you trying to pick up shows? Um, so it's a little bit of both. I've had success in the past uh, meeting other TV shows that I wanted to produce uh, or have meetings there. But I've kind of, in the past few years, changed my tactics to go and um, solicit the companies that are at the trade show, the the uh, exhibitors. Um, also, I network with the other intend- attendees, but I go there just to mainly solicit business, um, whether it be websites or commercials or marketing or, or anything else, uh, to go talk to those guys that are exhibiting at the shows. Okay. Um, when you go, are you primarily like walking around the trade shows or do you like to have a booth? Uh, at the ATA shot and I cast, I walk around, um, I don't know if you could even, you know, as a media guy, I don't know if you could even probably get a, uh, a booth and be mm-hmm. a vendor. Um, but you can also, you can definitely be an attendee. Now it's your consumer trade shows, like your NWTFs, your Harrisburg world, you know, those, your consumer shows, you can definitely get a booth. Um, but it's kind of a catch 22, you know, if you get a booth at those consumer shows, the people coming around are not necessarily your targeted customer. Mm-hmm. Those are the people there to buy buy products and see the latest and greatest uh, product. Same as you know your your industry or retail buyer membership shows, uh, like we spoke about. You know, having a booth there. Um, you know, the people walking around those shows are not necessarily your customer. So it'd be best to go as an attendee. Yeah, I definitely think it depends on the show. I know like um, Builders Expo is a show that we've expressed a lot of interest in. Um, You can have a booth there uh, as a media person, but they only allow like one or two. And it, but it is an industry trade show so that like anybody that's there is a decision maker with something to do with a building industry, whether it's um, rebar manufacturers or roofing companies or companies that uh, bind and supply or, or, or create lumber or whatever. So you, you are able to have a booth at an industry show. So it's kind of the best of both worlds, but it's hard to find trade shows like that. So I do agree with you. If you're at a consumer show, you're going to go through a whole lot of just your regular Joe people who are going to have nothing to do with you or might stop and ask you what you do, but are just tire kickers before you find the people that you're actually looking for. So I kind of get that. Whereas what you're saying is, is you're going to trade shows that are not consumer shows. You can't necessarily have a booth because you're not in the industry from that point of view, but you can still walk around and try to network with those people. And and uh, I get what you're saying. So I guess it really just all trade show dependent. Yeah, it is because like and you talked about, you know, we, Dow Safari, we've thought about having a booth there and, you know, what can we market to? That's still a consumer show, Mm -hmm. but those consumers are there 
booking, you know, those high end hunts, um, you know, have probably have a little bit more, um, wealth in their portfolio to, uh, spend $10,000 on a hunt and also spend $10,000 on the video services. Um, but you got to know who the audience of the, um, trade show is the attendees and, uh, what you're going after before you even thinking about, uh, attending a trade show. Yeah. Cause you can spend a lot of money like Safari club. The downside of Safari club is one, it's got like a five-year waiting list before you can get in and have mm-hmm. a booth. Like it's a very long waiting list and two, it's really expensive. So you can't just like throw money at it and say, Oh, I'm just going to have a booth. You have to really think, think it through. And if there's a waiting list, you're going to have to get on that waiting list. You've got to make sure that that show is going to benefit you. Um, and, and it's going to have the target audience that you're looking for. And then on top of that, you've got to figure out what your booth is like. If you're going to have a booth, what is your booth layout going to be like? Um, that can get expensive. So I think there's a whole lot that goes into it. More, It's more than just going to a trade show. You definitely have to have somewhat of a plan, even if you're just doing what you're doing, just going and walking around the trade shows. I, that's, how, that's what I normally do is exactly what you do. And you still have to have some sort of a plan if you're going to be successful. So tell us a little bit about no, like, what you're... Tell us a little bit about what your plan is or your strategy is. Um, so preparation is number one. You've got to prepare uh, four to six weeks ahead of time. Um, you know, you got to have, you're going in there to market yourself. You got to have a marketing plan. Uh, um, so you have to have a plan going in ahead of time. Um, uh, you know, I like to do my research on what we just talked about. What show am I attending? Um, and, you know, what are the requirements uh, to attend? And we talked about uh, the ATA shot and ICAST, where those you have to have a membership. Um, You have to have a membership ahead of time uh, for your company, or there's other companies where you can get a, what they call a badge um, or a pass, but you have to have a pass to get into those shows. They're not just open to the public. Um, so you gotta, you can't, don't want to waste all your time getting there and, and then can't get in the door. So you got to prepare for the requirements to attend. Um, you know, you got to look at a vendor list, uh, ahead of time. Are they the ones you want? Who do you want to go after on the vendor list? Um, do they have a service that, you know, you have a service that you can feel with, uh, what you do versus what they need. Uh, you can research some of them. And then big thing is the ATA show made a huge change in what they call media for the first day of their show. So they're a three-day show. And if I can explain it the best way I can is it's a three-day show and that show is created for buyers to meet up with manufacturers of products to sell in their stores. They have a just a strictly buyer's day on day one. And so if you have a media company or you're in advertising and marketing, you're not allowed in that show the whole first day. You have to wait until day two or three to get into the show. Knowing that ahead of time, is very key so that you don't get there and you can't get in the door. Um, and then also requirements that whether you can film or record audio, um, if you wanted to kind of show off and bring some of your gear, 
and do some videos in the booths and stuff. Only certain members can uh, record audio or video on the show floor. Um, and those are the professional shows, uh, industry trade shows. Um, but your consumer shows, those are the shows where if you're just attending, then you can uh, just pay a fee to get in the door. Um, but they also have their solicit, um, you know, requirements and rules. And then if you're a vendor, you need to know, you know, how do I get a booth? What size of booth do I need? Uh, where do I want my booth to be on the show floor? Um, you know, what what is my best strategy and what am I going to have in the booth? Um, you know, like I said, I go back to Dallas Safari. We talked about, you know, just having cool camera gear uh, in there, a drone or something will catch people's attention. Like, what does that guy do? Um, so doing your research ahead of time, uh, I think is number one. And that starts a minimum of a month to six weeks out, uh, knowing, uh, you know, going into that trade show, well, well prepared. So are you ever, are you bringing like a portfolio with you, like on an iPad or something so you can show people some of your work? Uh, I am. I used to roll out the red carpet in the digital world. You know, I'd I'd fly in there with a an iPad or or some type of tablet or a, you know a laptop, and I'd I'd fly in there with the latest and greatest uh, you know digital media guide and stuff like that and sizzle reel. But you know, I found over the years that you know some of that stuff just doesn't get you any further than, than where you, where you are. Um, but having proper materials, uh, is, is the best. And you got to prepare for that too. You got lead time to print, you got to create your sizzle reel. You've got to think about what it's, you know, what it's going to be. And so, you know, the big decision is print or digital. Um, you know, most things are going digital these days. Um, you know, I'll tell you later how it was my perspective of bringing print materials to a trade show. I think half of them probably get thrown away. Uh, and the percentage that I found is uh, staggering on on how many times uh, a guy will get home with your materials that you print off. Um, but I think at minimum, any print material you're going to have, at minimum, you need business cards. That's the simplest, most thing you can do is everybody's like, Hey, you got a card on you. And that's the most simple thing that you can do about, um, you know, bringing print material. Now there is media kit and, and, and brochures and stuff like that, but uh, just simply having a business card, uh, you know, even with a business email, uh, that's, that's big too. Everybody, you know, kind of go down a rabbit hole here, but everybody creates these at Gmail account um, that just doesn't set to me as you're a professional, you know, you need to have your name or, or a contact or whatever you want to create at your domain. You know, yours is Rustic River Media, mine's Deep Fork Productions. You want to create those business emails. So what you put on the business card, you know, helps too. You got to make them different, um, but don't make them too extreme. You know, I've seen guys go off and spend a bunch of money on the metal ones or the, you know, the uh, flashy ones and stuff like that. A basic business card uh, is going to be the best, uh, but the difference you can do, you can do like, 
vertical versus horizontal. And you can throw some race print on there because it's funny when we're at a trade show and you hand somebody a business card, but you're still having that conversation with them, how they run their finger over your business card. And, you know, they feel the thickness of it. They, you know, they feel the raised print, uh, if you have any foil on there or anything. And so it's funny to watch somebody uh, interact with your business card while you're still sitting there uh, talking to them. Um, but you mentioned the, you know, like dig- digital, that was, that was king. You were uh, creating a sizzle reel, demo reel, and, uh, you know, had your iPad out ready to show it to the world and show it to everybody. Um, but you know, they're not, they're not all created equal. And most of the time those guys are, are going to be visually entertained, but they're not going to, it's not going to be a make or break, uh, thing. I think for you right there, um, in the booth while you're talking to somebody. Yeah. So here are kind of my thoughts on that. So if, if like, um, we're looking at a trade show that we're going to do, it's a building builders trade show this coming year. Um, and for that, we will have um, some building like industry specific video content playing in our booth on a flat screen in the back. And we're going to have like gear out in front so uh, people can stop and see it. You know, we'll have, we'll have, like you said, we'll have the drones. I even got these custom made gobos that go on my spotlight mini zoom lights so I can actually shine my logo on the wall so that um, it actually, you can see some of my actual real lighting gear and then boom, it's like projecting my logo. sounds kind of silly, but just kind of like a cool way to like show some creativity and we'll have like, you know, probably a gimbal and like maybe a, a dolly or a slider, big camera, that kind of thing. And then, like I said, we'll have like some industry specific content playing on the TV behind us. But if I'm attend, that's only with a booth. If I'm attending as uh, someone who's walking around, like when I go to Safari Club, for example, or when I did go to ATA, I have found I used to make con like back the last time I went to ATA years ago and I had a sizzle reel, like what you said, on an iPad. And what I found is nobody wanted to really take the time to just stand there and watch it. And I can't hear it really. So I'd spend all this time on my sound design and nobody's going to even hear it anyway. And they don't want to stand there and really like watch your video or they might watch for, you know, a minute and then they're kind of bored with it because they're at the trade show. They want to talk to people and and network and stuff. They don't want to sit there and watch your content. So what I found is I would take my iPad, but um, I would use it more for like taking notes or like if someone had a question, I could show them like a behind the scenes picture of like a lighting setup or something about how we, oh yeah, you know, if we wanted to come to this project for you, like here's kind of what that setup would look like. Um, but I don't overthink it. I think you can overthink like the, the sizzle reel kind of thing and put all your eggs in that basket and nobody may even watch it. Um, I think business cards, shaking hands and just having conversations is really like the number one thing when you go to a trade show. One thing I do want to comment on on the business cards I've been talking to Kyle Bamberger, who was on my podcast a couple of weeks back about this. Kyle recently got this really cool digital business card that you tap your phone on. And when you do it, it loads your contact information into your into this person's phone. And they, it also has a QR code so you could scan it as well. And what's cool is not only does it load your contact information in, but it pulls up your website on like, let's say they have an iPhone and pull it up on their Safari uh, browser. And that way, when they leave the trade show and they go to click on the internet, your website's the first thing that pops up. So it forces them to remember the conversation that they had with you because it's really easy sometimes to um, forget about a business card that you got or or something like that. But but if you're like you know the next day 
your client, that potential customer pulls up their phone and goes to surf the internet, boom, there's Rustic River Media's website. They might be like, oh, I remember having a conversation with this guy. Let me check out his work. So I think that digital cards are starting to become a really cool option for stuff like that. There's really interesting marketing strategies that you can implement behind that. But if you don't have that yet, a good old paper business card still goes a long way. I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, most people listening to this show is some type of creative uh, person. And when we create that sizzle reel, demo reel, whatever you want to call it, you know, we're proud of it. We're, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've spent weeks or months on it. And like you said, the sound design and, and everything's just perfect. And we've <laughs> watched the thing a million times. It can, you know, it never, it never fails. Like you said, the, the sound, the sound doesn't matter. It's visual because it's a usually a loud environment or it never fails. Um, you know, I'll, I'll see this all the time as the guys in meetings and you can see them whip out the iPad ready to show that. And I'll, I'll kind of pause and watch and, and, um, and the person that's watching that, that they want to be so involved uh, is, asking questions 30 seconds in and they're like, Oh, where did you shoot that at? Oh man, that's, or they, or they get off on a story where they went and they did something. Oh, you killed a a bear, man. I I went bear hunting one time and then they stop watching and you're like trying to, no, no, look, look here. Listen to the sound. (laughs) You're like, get, get back, get back, you know? And, 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 you know, it's three minutes long in time. They got through with their story. It's, it's done, but mm-hmm. you still need to have it. It shows that you did preparedness on your end, but at minimum, I know the digital card thing is coming on strong, but at minimum, print off some business cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, they're cheap, you know, have something um, that actually says everything about you uh, on there. Um, media kits, man, just create a digital media kit. And if they ask for it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll send that to you at a later date. It's, it's a way to contact them at a later date because I mentioned this earlier and I didn't go into actual percentages, but the actual percentage of people making it home with your print material, uh, 80 to 90% of that stuff gets thrown away mm-hmm. and never makes it to their office or their house where they're going because a lot of them are going to another trade show and another trade show and they're working multiple trade shows back to back. And so it's, it's not worth the paper that it was printed on at that point, if they're just going to throw it away. And no offense to anybody listening, but you're probably not the first thing on their mind. Like media is, uh, is an important thing for business owners, but a lot of people at those trade shows have a lot of other things on their mind. They're probably not uh, like thinking, oh my gosh, this videographer, this video company I met, that's not like the number one thing they're thinking of when they wake up the next morning after the trade show. You know, you, you want to give them something that they can hang on to and stash away so when they're ready, they can give you a call. No, absolutely. And and it's just, uh, you know, you could go in there with all kinds of anticipation levels and, and you're going to conquer the world, um, but you can't let it deter you and what your mission is to there. And your mission is simple, put a face with a name and you're there to, you know, contact that person and you're there to get through to as many people as you can, um, you know, and, and I keep going back to this because people don't realize this because they attend their ATA show for the first time and they're sitting there having a great conversation with somebody in a booth 
and a person walks up with a badge that they're a buyer for their their business, they will stop talking to you and they will start talking to that person that's going to buy their product. And that's what they're there for. So you've got to be quick. You've got to get your point across and you've got to, you know, have them something to jog their memory with, whether it's a joke or, a, you know, a, a conversation, a story. Um, you don't have to be all rigid salesperson when you first meet the you know, person yeah. you're going after. Yeah. When I go to um, like Safari Club, I, uh, cause I, that's what I did when I very first got my start. I went to Safari Club with a stack of business cards and I just like went up to different hunting outfits and just passed my card out and a few other outdoor related businesses. And I, I got some work doing that. It, uh, but I will say like 90% of the cards I gave out, I never got phone calls from. But if you get, if you give out, you know, a hundred cards and you get 10 calls, like that's not bad in my opinion. Um, so I, what I ended up realizing though is that, I'm approaching hunting outfits that are there to sell 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus thousand dollar hunts. Okay. If I'm going to go into their booth and try to sell myself to them, I have to be very quick. I have to be straight to the point. I don't want to be, I don't want to go in and pretend like I'm going to book a hunt and then say, oh yeah, by the way, I do a video production company or whatever, because I don't want it to seem like I'm like trying to pull the wool over their eyes. You know what I mean? So I, I, and I don't want to like take up time in their booth. That's going to take away from their opportunity to sell hunts because that's kind of being rude in my opinion. Like that's what they're there to do. It you're, they're not there for you to come solicit them for an hour. So what I would do, and this is just my opinion, but I would just walk up and I would say, Hey, my name's Josh. Uh, I own Rustic River Media. We do video productions, do a lot of marketing for hunting outfits. Don't want to take up any of your time, but if you'd ever be interested in having a conversation about doing uh, any video or photography work for your website, I'd love to have a conversation. Here's my card. And then if they want to ask questions and have a conversation, I'll let them open that up. But if not, they might say, hey, thanks for handing the card. And I'll say, great. Um, and maybe they'll call me, maybe not. But that's kind of what my approach is. Is your approach somewhat similar to that or do you treat it a little different? No. If you, you respect their time, um, you know, which I'll talk about this later in the, in the podcast when you're actually at the trade show, but if you're taking up their time and taking away from a sale, they're going to remember you, but they're going to remember you in the bad. Oh, that's the guy that, you know, wouldn't shut up. That's the guy that was annoying and, and, uh, you know, cost me a sale because a guy got tired of waiting on me. Like I said, they will stop talking to you to make a sale, um, you know, depends on who you're talking to, if they're the sales guy or, or what their position is, but they will, they will stop talking to you and you, you can't take it. You know, you got, can't wear your heart on your sleeve at that point. You got to understand business is business. They're there to do a job and, and just like you are, um, but you've just got to put a face with a name. That's what your job is there. So I want to ask you this question. The last time I went to ATA, um, there was, I don't know, 600 video production companies <laughs> not really but you know what i mean it's just like a ton of so like what is your strategy for being a little different or or for like going and not feeling like you're lost in a sea of other people similar to you um it's hard because you know you do have to realize there's other people there doing the same thing you're doing and and, and how we always think our industry is is small and you may know one or two other production companies or or you know videographers editors whatever you do 
you're going to get there and and you're going to see them and they're going to be doing the same thing you are. Um, I don't do much to try to stand out. Uh, I just try to um, create something that they are going to purchase at a later date and remember that that guy was respectful. Um, that guy was, you know, on point. He gave us pitch. He let me, you know, uh, attend to a customer, so to speak. Um, I just want to be that respectful guy, uh, and not be remembered for a a bad reason. Um, I don't have any secret strategy to set myself apart. I just want to, uh, represent, uh, my business the best I can. Um, so I don't know. That's a tough question. You hit me with it. Come back to me, come back to me (laughs) on that one. Yeah. I think my strategy is first off when I go, I, I just kind of go into it knowing that it kind of is what it is and I'm just going to do the best I can. And um, if God wants to open up, it's kind of the Christian side of me coming up. If God wants to open up some doors for me while I'm there, then I just trust that that's going to happen. And uh, I I meet who I can and I hand out what cards I can and I just leave the rest up to him. But I will say it's tough. It's tough to go to a trade show like ATA. It was a little discouraging last time I was there. I was like, good Lord of mercy. I know like 75 people here who are doing video and it feels like, I mean, it's a lot, you know, and, and it, it can be a little discouraging, but I do think that the, it shouldn't keep you from going though, because you know, you have no idea, like one handshake could change your life. No, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of business to be had. You know, you may talk to the guy that nobody else hit up. You may say the right thing. Uh, you know, you can't get discouraged in sales regardless, but you can't get discouraged because there's other people doing what you do. Um, and you know, work with them, have conversations with them, you know, don't, don't be the, the guy talking behind their back and, you know, trying to sabotage what they're doing. We're all in this together and, uh, not that you have to be buddies, buddies with them, but you can, you can be respectful that they're there to do the same job you are. And, uh, you know, just treat them with respect. So you mentioned earlier the word media kit. I've heard that word tossed around a lot. Explain to me from your point of view, like what what a media kit is and uh, why it is not or is, depending, important for people to have. So a media kit can mean several things, but it's a kit essentially to advertise what you're selling. Um, you know, it's usually created as almost like a magazine, a front and back color, seven to eight pages. If you're going to print it off, um, it, it gets your point across. It's, it's colorful. It's, uh, you know, list of services, people you've worked for, uh, testimonials from clients. Uh, it, it sells you when you're not there. It, okay. it basically, you know, it, it creates, uh, all the things you were going to say while you're not there and give somebody time to, you know, look it over media kits were probably best known for people that have their own TV show and they're looking for sponsorships. Um, you know, they're wanting, Hey, I'm selling a commercial or, you know, you want to be my closed captioning sponsor or, you know, selling all these sponsorships, uh, to pay the bills for their TV show. And they got different sponsorship categories. 
But media kits have always been used for uh, other people as well. You've got examples in there, like uh, if you're photography, you got some of your best photos in there. Uh, if you're, you know, wanting to make your company look big, um, you've got your people, you want to list your team members in there. Uh, there's all kinds of things that you can list in there, but like we talked about media kits, I think have gone from, I, I think I'm trying to think back at ATA. I want to think that maybe out of everybody that was there pitching some service or sponsorship, um, you know, maybe 25%, a quarter of them had printed media kits. Uh, most of them, you know, I'll, I'll email you a digital copy and you could see the person that you were talking to light up. Oh, great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Send that to me because that media guide was, uh, you know, they weren't going to be handing everything to them and, and a stack of like when you took the Dallas Safari, it wouldn't be like, I got this stack of papers. It's Dude, I'd come back with like this anyway. giant stack of stuff. So I totally get that. <laughs> uh, so um, what was the last part of the media guide question? You said, No, I was just wondering like if you feel like it's important for people to have or not. No, it's, it's, it's definitely important to have um, some sort of copy, whether it be, you know, digital or print. Um, and, you know, a media guide could be your website too. Um, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be a, um, you know, magazine front to back of, of, uh, you know, but it's a more of a specific kind of dumbed down version of what you do to get your point across in bullet points and pretty pictures and, and, uh, you know, what, what services you have. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. You know, what's funny is I've actually never made a media kit. I have given people my card or I've shot over like a follow-up email. I'm really big about that. And I think that's important. I get business cards and I always, after like within a couple of days of the show, send a follow-up email stating their name so they know I remembered their name and um, reminding them who I was. And then I'll have like a link to my website and then maybe like a portfolio or... Um, some like links to some example projects similar to what might I feel like might apply to their business, but I've never made like an actual printed media kit or even necessarily a digital media kit. Uh, and to be honest, I I'm, I've heard that term thrown or out a lot, but I never really was quite sure what, what, what I knew of what it was from a TV standpoint, but from like a photography or videography company standpoint, I never really was sure what people were talking about when they said that. So it's kind of interesting to hear you say that. It's, it's somewhat the, like, like I said, let's just go digital. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're not going to print anything off anymore, but um, the digital side of things, it's to show off your best work. And when you go digital, there's so many more options of putting links, you know, uh, putting a thumbnail where, where they can click on it and it plays your, your demo reel or a, and you can, you can make it to where it's targeted specific, um, you know, where, Maybe on your website, they've you've got thousands of pictures or hundreds of pictures that you show as a portfolio. You put your best of your best in your media guide, and it's a way for them to find out what you do for at a very quick pace to almost a make it or break it, um, you know, atmosphere. 
Do you think Instagram, I am horrible at Instagram. I've posted an Instagram maybe five times last year, but do you think Instagram, I know a lot of people use it, is a uh, could be a form of a media kit today? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all your socials is your, your media kit, including your website, like we talked about, but um, you know, especially if you're a photographer, Instagram is, is the way to go. You can pull somebody's Instagram up or Graham as the cool kids say, and you could pull that up and say, you know, look at just everything on there and not have to like read anything or think about it. It's just a portfolio. You're going to put your best of your best, uh, on, uh, on Instagram. So it could be, I mean, media kit, like I said, it's, a it's a very kind of, you know, well-renowned term that, that could mean a lot of different things. It's a basically look at, look at it as a media guide or media kit as a portfolio. Gotcha. Yeah. A reason I asked that about Instagram is I've met a few different companies recently, not outdoor related, but um, just they were decision makers within companies and they kind of threw out a term. They're like, Hey, send me your Instagram handle. And I'm like, huh, that's new because I've never really been asked that until recently, but they're like, yeah, man, send me your Instagram handle. And I'm like, my Instagram really over my website. And, uh, but I just, I really, it really kind of took me off guard and I was, and it made me start thinking about it. And then Aaron Morgan said on the podcast we were on, uh, uh, last episode, he made a comment that, um, he gets, he got a lot of business from Instagram and I thought it was really interesting. So I was just curious if, if you felt like people could roll up to a trade show and just rock their Instagram handle as their media kit. Um, I don't know. I mean, some people just use that as a, you know, a crutch um, mm-hmm. and you, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. And, and you got to yeah, have surely a you want of, like a website link to that and that kind of thing so they can dig. Right. Further. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah because I, I mean, there was a, there was a time where they had uh, like a, a website uh people didn't even have websites. Companies didn't even have websites. You know, they had Facebook and Instagram and, um, you know, all the other LinkedIn, Twitter, all the other stuff that you have on your socials. They even have a website. Now websites are becoming more and more popular back to where I think it's almost like, Hey, they, I think you're, you need a website website, maybe a placeholder, but you need that website. Um, you need that domain name to create those business emails and and get off of the Gmail uh, accounts or Hotmail, AOL, whichever is still around. But the the Yahoo, I just you know everybody, uh, you know, I laugh at that all the time. But the the websites are are coming up up uh, big time. I think in in what your portfolio can can sell. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the email thing. I will say when I've gotten emails from people and they're at Gmail or Yahoo, or Hotmail or anything like that, it definitely does come across as them not, I don't want to say that not necessarily professional, but it comes across as maybe they're not as established or as legit or something like that. Because they, it seems like more like, like if you meet someone that's got a at rusticriver.media or at deep4productions.com. That feels just more established to me. It feels more like, oh, this guy's streamlined. He's got a legit business. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, it's simple. It's it's cheap. I mean, under a hundred bucks, you can buy a domain, you can get an email plan, 
and you're, you know, under a hundred bucks, you can, you can be in business. It's, it's very, very inexpensive. I think it's just something that if you don't do does kind of like, if I get an email, like you said, from them, it kind of like sets me back for a a second, you know, about being professional. So let's take a step back um, and talk about what your elevator uh, pitch is. Like when you approach a potential vendor or a potential hunting show or fishing show, what is your elevator, your elevator speech, your elevator pitch? Uh, so we're a outdoor industry creative agency um, that does everything from video production pre to post-production um, with website marketing um, in between. And that we're a full service, one-stop shop uh, creative agency. And it just, it's quick. Um, you know, nobody's ever heard the term elevator pitch. It's, it's the generic term of, you know, can you get on an elevator with somebody and by the time it takes that elevator doors to close, go down to the floor or up to the floor that you're on and the doors to open, can you sell your services in that amount of time? Because at these trade shows, there's people are talking to hundreds or thousands of people and you've got to get your point across as quickly as possible. When you go to a trade show and you obviously have your elevator pitch in mind and you're you're looking at targeting specific vendors. But if you run into other people who do video work, maybe you've seen them before and know them or know who they are, or maybe you don't know who they are, but you just see them and you realize that's what they're there for. Do you ever try to approach them and collaborate with them and exchange contact information in case you guys could ever uh, hire each other for anything or collaborate on or on anything, or do you see them strictly as competition and think more of the terms of, uh, if I see them in the, in the bar tonight, I'm going to crack their knees so they can't show up tomorrow. Like what's your <laughs> kind of, what's your, your thought process there? No. Um, you know, I stopped fighting a long time ago and, and, um, the, I see as everybody as uh, a benefit more than a competition because, there's some things out there that another production company doesn't want to touch or doesn't want to do, so to speak. And they're like, Oh, that's below me or the budgets ain't there or, you know, and they only want to take these high end jobs and have these, you know, way, way big budgets. And if they don't get the budget they want, then, then they're not doing it. Well, I may come in and do it. You may come in and do it. There's another person standing in line that'll do it for that budget. And so if you see everybody as competition, you're trying to take them out, they're not, you know, you're not helping yourself because uh, just for example, at SHOT Show this year, you know, I I knew that Caleb uh, Copeland from Copeland Creative was there and uh, met him in the food court. You know, we sit down and, and had, I don't know, 30, 45 minute conversation of, you know, who's he talking to here and and uh, what what meetings does he have and and kind of a, almost a state of the union uh, for the outdoor industry and and how how everything's going. Uh, and then also this, you know, a quick catch up of what have I been up to? What has he been up to projects that he's done? And and there's some things where, um, you know, I want to tackle that Caleb has no interest in, in doing and and vice versa. You know, um, Caleb wants to get a fishing show and he wants to, he wants to, uh, produce a fishing show. 
so he was kind of picking my brain on the, the fishing side of things. Um, you know, he produces Lee and Tiffany and the crush, and that's a big, big task. And, and so I was picking his brain on filming days and, and, uh, how many kills they need for an episode and, and, uh, you know, other things that he's producing. So it was great catching up with him. Um, but it was also strategy. Um, and I think he's seen that as well. So if you look at other people's competition that are doing the same thing you are, um, you know, I think, I think that's, uh, that's more of a fail, uh, than anything as a business owner, uh, the collaboration, uh, you could collaborate with somebody on a project. You could, like I said, take one that they're not going to, or that they're not capable of, and they could essentially farm it out to you. I mean, there's all kinds of things. Look at all the projects you and I and, uh, have collaborated on and, and done. And, you know, the projects for like me and Dustin, I mean, I could sit here and name, production companies that I've collaborated with, worked for, have worked for me. And, uh, man, you have to have that relationship uh, because one thing I've always told myself, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast, I don't know of any other production company or person out there in the industry that can say anything bad about Deep Fork Productions. Uh, And I I hope, uh, maybe wrong, but I hope that it never gets that way. Because I want to see, I see everybody as a benefit and not a competition, a competitor. I don't know, dude. Last time I worked for you, I ended up going to the hospital that night. So I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, don't I know, talked man. you into filming one more time. I talked you into filming. You talked me in, and then and, I had to go uh, check myself in afterward. And like, what the heck? <laughs> I my disclaimer is that was no way associated with anything that <laughs> happened to you while you were out on the boat. <laughs> Unlike last time. <laughs> Dude, so um, I, I totally agree with you on that. I think the last time I went to ATA specifically, uh, I was at a bar getting a drink and uh, a guy walked up to the bar and was also getting a drink and he just asked me what I was there for and I told him what I did and he, oh, I don't even remember his name now, but he owned a company, a uh, video company and we just started chatting and anyway, a couple of days later, he sends me an email and he had a client at, or had a prospective client who had a project they needed done, but um, he just didn't have the time to do it and asked if I wanted it. And then boom, next thing you know, I got a project and that project led into a whole lot of other projects. And it was all because, you know, we just struck up some conversations and talked about how, like, hey, we'd love to collaborate down the road if ever had, you know, if we ever had the chance. So I definitely see it that way too, where if I see other video people, I see it more as an opportunity to like network and expand um, who I know in the industry. Because I don't think, I definitely don't think it hurts to know a lot of people that do video or editing. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about um, like why even go to a trade show? Why not just send out emails to vendors or shows that you're interested in or, or send Facebook or, or LinkedIn or uh, Instagram messages to these, these companies. Why do you think it's important to go to a trade show to begin with? Um, well, both are important to be able to send a cold call, cold email, whatever you want to call it. You know, those are, those are important, but I'm sorry. I think a lot of people just still like to put a face with the name and they Mm -hmm. like to physically shake somebody's hand. Uh, they like to have that conversation and, you know, to have a conversation on the phone 
is one thing or on a zoom call or something like that is one thing, but to be in person, to look them in the eye, to see, you know, and hear their stories and see how passionate they are. will never, you know, will never take the place of just somebody behind a keyboard or, uh, you know, a, a, an email or something like that, or a phone call. I think, it, I think it's just the physical interaction with somebody has most to do with it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, for me, it's the physical interaction and it's the fact that you have a bunch of people in one particular place at one time that are your target market. And like, you, oh yeah, you can't absolutely. It's a, it's, do it. it's a playing, you know, it's a, it's a big field and they're all under one building at the same time. Uh, and you can get a lot done in a little amount of time. Yeah, dude. I mean, you could literally get months and months and months of networking done in, in two, three days. I believe. Absolutely. Well, uh, man, any, any other advice you have for anyone who might be interested in going to trade shows? Do you have any suggestions on trade shows, uh, or, or any suggestions about, you know, how to dress, how to get prepared or anything, anything else you want to cover? Um, you know, finishing up the strategy part, you know, I like a good, better, best option. I don't know if that's proper English, but, uh, I've gone into life that way and business and, you know, uh, having a plan is, you know, is it good enough? Is this plan better? And what's one, what's the best plan? Um, and so you, you've got to understand, you know, what is your return on investment? Um, you know, you're going to have costs with this. It's not as simple as what did it do to cost you to prepare to uh, your print materials, your flights, your your gas or whatever, your hotel, your food, membership, uh, everything. Um, but it's the networking um, that you're, you know, going to get out. And you, you can't, on a trade show, don't think that, I'm going to invest $400 and I need to get back double my investment to say that that was, that was worth it. You're going to talk to so many people that you're not going to know really what your return is because those people talk to other people and other people talk to other people and time it gets down the line, you're going to may get a phone call from a conversation you started. Hey, I know so-and-so and so-and-so knew so-and-so. I didn't need your services at the time, but this other person I talked to, I thought, you know, you would be a good fit for them. Um, and so you can't look at a trade show from a, uh, I'm going to put so much money into it and I have to get this back out of it. Um, it's networking and, and um, you know, just knowing that you're, you're going to get what you put out, you know, get, get out of it what you put in so to speak. Um, but you mentioned dress appropriately. <laughs> um, you know, the running joke of the ATA show uh, amongst a lot of people was, you know, the attire seemed to be the flannel shirt or collared shirt with a vest and bedazzled jeans and, and boots. And it's pretty much what everybody wore, um, but you got to dress appropriately, but you also got to stand out uh, from your, from your competition. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen guys, I've seen guys go in there in a Ninja Turtle or a Kermit the Frog costume. Um, you, you're going to, you're going to bet that that person remembers 
that person talking to that person in a Ninja Turtle um, costume. They're going to remember you. I would rather be remembered for I had, you know, a great portfolio and and was respectful and and uh, you know had great uh, a pitch and and didn't take too much of their time and had a service that they needed versus what I was wearing. Um, but, uh, you know, it all goes back to everything keeps going back to that plan. Um, you know, but there's a lot, also a lot of things of, you know, when you get there, um, to put that strategy in effect. And so, uh, being prepared, you're going to, uh, you're going to succeed, uh, if you are prepared, um, you know, some little things that, that I could throw out there to kind of wrap this up is when you're going up to the booth, making sure you talk to the right person. There's going to be maybe like six or seven people work in that booth and you're going to walk into that booth. And if you just start selling the first person that you, that you see, you're, you know, you may be talking to a sales guy that has no uh, decision-making in whether or not he's going to use you or not. Um, so you want to talk to a marketing director or an owner. Owners are kind of rare these days, depending on how big the company is, but a marketing director, decision-maker, and don't be afraid to ask for the right person when you go in there. And But the best thing, going back to preparedness, is to have a meeting set up um, because if you're going into there at a time, a date, time, and place, you're going in there, uh, you know, way ahead of the game. And you're going to talk to, you know, I'm going to talk to Josh. And Josh is the marketing director. And I've already sent him all my stuff. So the meeting is already way ahead of the game than just going in there and, and essentially cold calling your the booth. So, yeah, I, and that the kind of a couple more questions sprang to mind when you were saying that. So on the whole, like being prepared thing and, and kind of thinking everything through, if you show up to a trade show, what is your thoughts on like, like if you're, if you're paying attention to the industry that you're in, so in this case, like hunting and fishing, and you kind of have a good idea of maybe, you know, let's just, I'm just going to throw a brand out there. Let's just pretend, you know, you see Matthews and you know that, you know, you, you know that Matthews has a lot of video work being done by another company. Do you go to that trade show with the intention of just leaving Matthews alone because you think they're already taken care of, or do you still approach him? Do you still talk to him? Do you still try to get in on the, uh, get in, get your name or foot in the door? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I used to leave him alone and I left him alone because I thought, they've got somebody internally or they've uh you know they they know um what tv show to go to or or they know where to go to get all their stuff i have since the past couple of years just made it quick i don't set up a meeting i don't i i go what you did i, I do what you did in when you went to the trade show talking to the hunting outfits, just introduce myself. And it's as simple as, Hey, I know you guys probably have everything handed, everything handled, but if you ever need to outsource any video production, uh, any content creation or, you know, photography, anything like that, you know, here's my card. I want to throw my hat in the ring and then get their business card as well. Um, 
to follow up with them at a later date. Yeah, that's exactly my thought. So I used to avoid that too, just like you. I was like, ah, they're taken care of. I'm not going to waste their time or mine. Um, but I've totally changed my mind on that because I've realized that it doesn't just because they have someone or even if it's a couple of someone's doesn't mean that they're necessarily content with the, what they have. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're looking for someone better, but they just haven't, they just haven't figured out who that person is yet. Or maybe they're looking for a different, you know, price option or whatever. I think there's nothing wrong with putting, like you said, putting your hat in the ring because you, you really never know. No, you don't. And I've, actually benefited over the past couple of years by, by by doing that and it may be one thing a year it may be one thing every five years um but there's going to be become a time where they have too much to handle in-house and they're going to be looking for essentially i guess you could use the term freelancers they're going to be looking for freelancers to uh take and uh, help them out, farm that project out. Um, or they just may need a breath of fresh air and their in-house guys have just created the same thing over and over. And that marketing person's like, yeah, let's get some something new in here. Let's kind of stir the pot a, a little bit. Um, but you can't assume that everything's taken care of. You know, somebody like Matthews, they they probably do have everything taken care of. This is the first name uh, that came to but, mind. I pick like the biggest. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but there is there's those uh you know what I call medium medium sized companies. Those are the ones where you can really really uh you know do something good with. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Um, what about though? What if you knew, like, what if you knew Josh Milligan Rustic River Media was doing work with a company? Would you still approach them if you're like friends with that person? Or do you think it's that's like improper etiquette? I I, I do think it's improper etiquette. I mean, you know, as close to the relationship as we've had over, you know, however many years, um, seven or eight years that we've known each other, it, you know, it just goes, I just think it's just, um, not very good to approach somebody that, uh, you know, they're working with, but, you know, that's probably, I'd say 99% of the time would work. Now, obviously if it's a TV show, I'm not going to go to a TV show you produce or, or you probably wouldn't go to a TV show I produce and, and say, ah, I could do it better. I could do it cheaper. You're probably not going to be friends much longer, but you basically, uh, know the size of the company and work through that person. I'd work through you and I would say, you know, Hey man, that, that company X, Y, Z that you're working for, um, you know, you, can you handle all that? If you can't man, just, just holler at me. I can, uh, I can sub in and, and I can help you out of that. That'd probably be the proper approach. Yeah. I think, um, the reason why I asked that is like, I remember, one of the last trade shows I went to, uh, I ran across a company and had an opportunity to talk to them, but a friend of mine I knew did a lot of work for them and I backed off because I was like, I just don't feel, I don't feel good about that. And I feel like that would be, even if I didn't, you know, get any work out of it or anything, still just the, just the idea of approaching them. If it got back to my friend, I think it just doesn't look good. So I think I definitely agree with you on that. I think that's probably not the best move. I think if it's not somebody I know, then no harm, no foul. It's kind of my thought on it. Um, 
but I do like your idea of being able to like, like if, if you were, let's pretend you were doing work for Matthews, I guess a huge company and I would have no problem reaching out to you and be like, Hey man, if you ever feel like you're getting overloaded, like, let me know. I'd love to help you out with that and just seeing where that goes. But mm-hmm. I think that's like a good, a good way to approach it. But I, the reason why I asked that man is it is kind of a tight knit community and there is a good chance if you go to like the hunting or fishing trade shows that you're going to run into some companies that are already doing work with friends, you know. So I think it's kind of good to have a game plan back to like back to what you said about pre- preparation. It's good to have a game plan of what am I going to do if I find myself in that circumstance? How am I going to handle it? That's, yeah, I agree. Cool, man. And then my last question for you, and this is probably one that um, people people would be really interested in knowing. How does someone get into a show like ATA's and media personnel? Do they just pick up the phone and say, Hey, I'd like to buy a pass. I'm in the industry. Like, how does that work? So there's a process you got to go through and you got to one register. Uh, you got to know what category you fall under. Um, so at the ATA shot show and ICAST, they all have similar categories, but they're, let's just say they're, they're worded differently. Okay. You know, okay. one, one may say press and the other say media one say marketing and advertising and the other one say media sales or, or something. And they're, they're different color coded, you know, with the ATA show, I think I've been there nine years or so to the ATA show. The, uh, the blue badge is the one that you can see. They're the ones uh, that says media and they're the ones going around soliciting for sponsorships and stuff like that. That's the no blue badges the first day and they're all nope. red or red or yellow. And so, you know, you know, your know what category you fall into uh, and they have descriptions. It's really easy to go to their websites. Then once you know what category you're under, then you, then you register for what they call a membership and you register your company under that membership uh, and there's fees associated with that. And so um, they'll have, they'll have the fees and everything, but you've got to be approved. And this is the process you have to go through. Some shows require you to have a website. Some shows will take a Facebook or an Instagram. Some shows will say, you've got to have this many years some you got to have, if you want to be a press at some shows, you got to be a member of POMA. Uh, you've got to be a member of um, all these professional uh, outdoor media association. You got to be a, a, a member of those organizations uh, for, for ICAST. Uh, you got to be a member of the sport fishing association. Um, you've got to know all these boxes that you got to check and then you got to register and be approved and then once you're approved the fees uh, get paid and usually there's a a fee for your uh, membership and then there's a fee per badge or pass whatever you want to call it that you go to the show with Um, so for example ata show um, media members this was several years ago, but media membership used to be, I think it was $250 a year. Then it was a hundred dollars per badge and you could bring up to eight people with you. They've since, and you get on all three days of the show. They've since changed it to, I think it's like $600 membership. That's the last I heard. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. $600 membership. Um, you can only bring up the four people with you and you can't get in the first day of the show. Um, and so that tells you one thing right there that they're not trying to push us out, but they're trying to say this show is created for one reason. Um, you're a benefit to the show, but you're not the main reason the show is created. And you so know what, man, I'm actually okay. To- I'm actually okay with that though. I think it, it does make sense because we, like you said, we were not the main reason for the show. And so I, I'm actually okay with that. No, I, I am too. And, um, you know, it was, I, I think I heard it was a reason that they did buyer only day, the first day ATA. And it, it wasn't the necessarily the, the vendors and the exhibitors that was complaining. It was the people in there trying to, write purchase orders for, you know, they want to go sell, you know, 10 Matthews bows in their shop that year. And so they were going to to look at the new Matthews bows and test them out and say, Hey, we want this many of this brand and this many of that brand. And then they were just getting bombarded by an oversaturation of blue badges, media badges walking around <laughs> everywhere. And they were like, they would complain to ATA and ATA knows that the livelihood of their show depends on buyers attending, which brings the exhibitors and they understand why. And, you know, you can, you can do a lot of things um, outside of the show. Um, You know, you can have meetings. I've set I've set up meetings outside of the show and had just as great meetings, not on the show floor, but outside of the show and then been prepared to go in the, you know, the second day. Yeah. Plus, and and this might not be a popular opinion, but honestly, like popping up like $600 or whatever kind of also weeds out some of the people, in my opinion, that maybe aren't as serious. Because like when I went, dude, I don't even think I paid anything. I think like an archery shop gave me a badge. I showed up for free. But, you know, there's a million people who did that. And the thing is, is that that meant that there was a million of us there. So I'm actually okay a little yeah. bit with kind of making it a little bit more difficult because it kind of weeds out some of the competition and it does make it a little bit more focused on people who genuinely are serious about it. Well, it, it, it definitely does. Um, they're they're going to find a way in the show if they want a way in the show uh, through some other you know, exhibitor or one of their sponsors or, or a shop that they work for, they're going to find a way in the show. It's not going to stop them, but it does weed out the people that, uh, you know, are there for, you know, just not prepared and kind of make it difficult, uh, and give, give a bad name. It only takes one person in any industry in this world to give the rest of us a, a bad name or a bad rap. And, um, it does weed out the people that's not serious about it. Do you have any other advice or anything you want to leave with before we wrap? Um, the last, the last couple of things that I had written down was, you know, um, have a business card. And obviously you know that where the conversation's going when they say, man, you got a card on you, you know, that could mean one or two things. That could mean I'm tired of talking to you or <laughs> yeah. that could mean uh, I'm interested. Yeah. So you never know. Have the business card. But I I don't pass out many business cards at the shows. I take business cards. 
And so I'll give you a business card if you ask. I'll probably hand it to you anyway, just because I want to get my money's worth. But I will take their business card. And one thing that I just started doing over the past few years is when I take their business card immediately, right there in front of them, I will take notes on their business card. What did we talk about? You know, bullet points. What service Mm -hmm. intrigued them? What was their needs? Um, Something to jog my memory at a later date because it never fails. You're going to get a business card from somebody at that expo, and you you may be in, uh, like, let's keep using Matthews as an example. I'm just going to roll with it. You're in Matthew's booth, and somebody hands you a business card. Sometimes those business cards have their company name on there that don't have the product that you guys talked about or the service that you know, or sorry, the, the product that you know. And so you're going to get home, and, and who is uh, ABC Enterprises? You know, mm-hmm. or, you know, or it's going to have their group name or, you know, if they have a lot of products underneath and you're going to be like, I just don't remember who that is or what we talked about. Write notes on that business card that you get from somebody. You know, you're not going to throw that thing away. They may throw yours away, but you're not going to throw theirs away. So right. that's just something I learned about. Take notes because it's going to jog your memory um, when you get home. Um, and the, the very last thing is following up. You mentioned this earlier of how you like to send a follow-up email, you know, a few days afterwards. Um, don't be that guy that sends the email the day after or maybe even two days after. You know, wait at least. If you're just so eager to contact them, wait three days at minimum, I think. I think three days because, one – like I said, ATA show and SHOT show were back-to-back shows this year. Yeah. So those people packed up their booth. Yep. They had to get from Indianapolis to Las Vegas. And if you weren't going to SHOT show and you went just ATA and you emailed them on the following Monday and and said, which I hate emails on Monday anyway, I think sometime during the middle of the week is the best. If you emailed them right away, the likelihood of your email getting buried in the other emails is very, very likely. Um, I like to wait, you know, for ATA and shot. Uh, I waited a, a full, I think it was eight or nine days after. And, you know, I don't think I was missing my time or missing my opportunity. But, uh, you know, I had 14 what I call kind of hot contacts, you know, uh, that I was that was very interested in in doing business with, and I emailed all fourteen of those, and uh, I've already got nine responses from out of those fourteen, and I've got three phone calls to do follow up meetings tomorrow uh, with nice. those, and so I waited, I. Let all the people, you know, young bull, old bull. I don't know if you (laughs) ever heard that. But Mm -hmm. the analogy is just, you know, run run down there and just send that email as fast as you can versus waiting a little bit. Um, And then things I like to do in the emails is, you know, shorten to the point. The first first email is just to jog their memory. Their follow-up email is just to jog their memory of what you guys talked about. Keep it short and to the point. Uh, you know, 
And then I just sit back and I wait for the answers. And I look at my analytics, whether it be your Facebook or website, Instagram, you know, look at your analytics, look at, look at who's interacting with you. Um, but the, the very last thing, be prepared for rejections or no answers. Um, there's, there's a lot of false hope at these trade shows and, you know, you, most people, most people don't want to let that person down. That's talking to them and say, I don't ever want to do business with you. They're going to seem interested. They're going to, Oh yeah. You know, it's just human nature. And then you're going to think you just killed it with 50 (laughs) different companies and you're, you're going to make millions and you're going home and you're, you're, you're already counting the cash that you're, you're in. It's false hope. Be prepared um, for less than 10%. Uh, and if you get 10%, uh, that's, you're doing something good. Most of the time it's, it's that one to two to 3% of people that, uh, will call you back. And so, you know, it's all fun and games at the trade show, but all in all, you may never hear from them again. But it's okay, I think, to send up like a second or third email in the next three, four, five, six months because you never know. Sometimes they're just really busy and don't have time to get back to you. Then they forget. Nothing wrong with following up a couple times. There's a difference between being proactive and uh, <laughs> just annoying. They'll yeah. they'll appreciate the follow-up and, and uh, as long as you're not sending them every day, and spamming them. I think they'll, they'll appreciate the follow-up. Yeah, I totally agree. My one last piece of advice that I'll leave people with is, um, at a trade show like the ATA, um, the last time I went to the ATA specifically, I remember going up to other video production companies or other videographers, freelancers I knew, and just being like, Hey man, I've seen you online. My name is Josh and whatnot. And, uh, you know, just trying to, strike up conversation saw nothing more out of it other than just trying to just meet some people make some friends kind of thing and and uh, i got blown off a lot because the last time i went was like seven or eight years ago i think and uh like people knew me but people didn't know me as well as they know me now and i think it really bothered me because i had a lot of i had a lot of people that i tried to just strike up conversations with with no intentions of business or anything just trying to just meet some people and make some friends that just kind of, or I guess like my point is they kind of didn't see me as being in their click because these, there's a lot of that at these shows in our industry. If you're going to go to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to go to one of these trade shows, or maybe you've been a bunch and you're just listening for, you know, entertainment purposes. Um, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, I mean, there's no reason to, to have like a click in the video world, like, man, expand your, your knowledge by, and, and your, your friendship group by opening up your door to, to meet other people that do the same type of work you do or similar work to you do, because you you never know where those friendships could lead or who you might meet or what could come of that. But I, I knew a lot of, there were like five or six or seven different people that, man, they wouldn't give me a time of day last time I was there. It's very unfortunate because I could have gone on to hire those people for projects later on, but they totally blew it because I wasn't in their click. So if you're going to go to these trade shows and you're in video industry and you're meeting up with some other video people that are there in the industry, try not to be like that. Try to meet and and network with other people within your industry because um, you'll, you're only shooting yourself in the foot if you don't. No, I agree. I agree. Cool, man. Well, hey, I guess we'll wrap up this podcast. I appreciate you hopping on and coming back. I'll let Kyle know he's got to hop on another podcast here in the next few weeks so that you're not passing him up. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, but tell people where they can find uh, some of your work, man. Uh, as always, our website, we work very, very hard in keeping that updated uh, with our most recent work and uh, things we're, you know, clients that we're doing right now. So deepforkproductions.com is our uh, website. Um, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, but I think every time we talk, <laughs> I update it just as much as you do. Uh, I always use the analogy of the guy with the landscaping business and his yard's probably the tallest on the block because he does it every day of the week and he just don't want to do it himself. I use that analogy in my pot. I use that in my last podcast. Well, I just haven't listened to it. So, uh, so yeah, basically any type of social, um, and website, uh, you can find our work. Um, and then on the TV, you know, a lot of, a lot of television shows and, uh, and stuff. So, pretty much anywhere. Heck yeah, dude. Awesome, man. Well, um, if you guys are listening to this podcast, be sure to teep out, uh, teep out, check out deep fork productions. Thanks again for hopping on the podcast, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, let's do it again soon. So I keep my record up. We will, man, we will. For more information on the filming with Josh podcast or the filming with Josh Facebook group, again, you can go to filming with Josh on Facebook, or you can go to my website at rusticriver.media and click on the filming with Josh tab. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you guys next week. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.